My name is Matt. It is good to be back, I will say that, and good to read the Bible together. So we're going to be reading from John chapter 2, starting from verse 1. If you want to turn to that with me, let's read the Bible. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, Now draw out, excuse me, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who drew the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory. And his disciples believed in him. Here's, a, here's something worth pondering, I think. That part of the reason people in our world, in our culture, our friends and our family, part of the reason people don't want to give Jesus a go is because they're convinced that to do so would be irrelevant. They're convinced that uh, following Jesus, living the Christian life, is a recipe for a boring existence. You know, you'd be, you'd be wasting your supposedly one shot at happiness to go down the church, Jesus, Christian Bible path. You'd be signing yourself up for being stifled and being disappointed and, and not getting to do all the fun things you know and love and, and it, would just, it would just stink to be a Christian. So why bother? Why think about it? I think for a lot of us, uh, we put Christianity in the same sort of category as you might put Radio National or plain rice crackers or Service New South Wales. You know, these are boring things. These are not the kind of things that you would seek out if you had the opportunity to go and do something else instead. And for so many of us, Church is in our heads as demonstrated by the Simpsons. You know, Reverend Lovejoy's up the front droning on in his monotonous voice about something inane. Uh, and so Homer is falling asleep in the pews and Bart is getting up to trouble because he's bored. Who wants that? It's Christianity as kind of defined by dated artworks and musty smells and bland music and boring topics of conversation. So out of touch. Who wants that? It's, it's the Jesus from those 1970s and 1980s Jesus films. You might have seen those ones, you know, blonde hair, blue-eyed Jesus, where he's kind of wooden and robotic and he's never smiling, never laughing, never cracking a joke. He's just not human. So serious, so somber. Who, who wants that? I mean, c- clearly some people do. Chances are most of you do. But, but the question is, is that kind of criticism fair? Are Christians people who are just boring? 
who have just kind of resigned themselves to having to put up with all this boring stuff and living kind of out of touch, disappointing lives. Is that fair? It won't surprise you to know that I actually think it's quite the opposite. I actually want to make the case today that actually Christians get to live lives that are not at all irrelevant, not at all backwards, not at all boring. Being a Christian does not mean a life of lack, but it means a life of meaning and significance and joy and emotions and happiness to a kind of level that you just can't get in any other way. And it's not just because we Christians are kind of naturally happy-go-lucky people, because let's face it, we probably aren't, but it's all because of Jesus. It's because of what the Bible has to say about God and how he feels about us and what he's willing to do to love us. That changes everything. Christianity is true and good and not at all irrelevant. And the first thing to say is that the data actually shows it. Now, there was a study done in the last couple of years by uh, some American professors of public health at Harvard University. You know, normally they're studying like big patterns of diseases and, and heart disease and COVID and stuff. But a few years ago, they did a, an in-depth study of religion, specifically Christianity in America, asking the question, what impact does it have on a person? And their conclusion was that religion, particularly Christianity, is kind of like a wonder drug. Christianity cheaply and sustainably and noticeably improves both the lives of the person who is believing it, but also the lives of the people around that person. If you're a Christian, so the statistics say, you are more likely to be optimistic, more likely to be self-controlled, less likely to be prone to depression, less likely to commit suicide, less likely to divorce. The statistics show that, that you are three and a half times more likely to donate money. You're more likely to volunteer your time up to two times more than anyone else. Christians even donate more blood in America. That's the kind of impact that it has to a person and then to the society around them when they come to faith in Jesus. So much so that one of the professors writing this report, they, they said this, if one could conceive of a single elixir to improve the physical and mental health of millions of Americans at no personal cost, what value would society place on it? You know, if, the, if this was a pill you could pop, if this was a pharmaceutical drug getting these sort of effects, it would revolutionize medicine. This would be the most lucrative thing on the market. Everyone would want to get their hands on this. But it's actually more simple than that. It's just Jesus. Jesus produces this kind of effect in people's lives. You can, you can actually look and scientifically measure the positive impact that it has on a person and the people around that person. Christianity is true, it's good, and it's not at all irrelevant. The data shows it for one thing, and that's because, and that's because God gets goodness. God gets goodness. God gets what real goodness is. He shows it to us. When I look back on my, on my childhood, some of the happiest memories I've got come from a little town called Peel on the outskirts of Bathurst, about 20 minutes out between Bathurst and Safala. You might, you might have driven through it. My happiest memories are from that place because that's where one set of my grandparents lived. And we'd go out there every second or third weekend and hang out. And it, it's, it's kind of like my Rivendell, you know? This is happy place where everything is peaceful and calm and blissful. And I've been reflecting recently on, on why is it that a grandparent's house holds that kind of role in a kid's heart? 
And I've been partly reflecting on that because for the past four months, my kids have been missing out on that. They haven't been able to go see any of their grandparents because they're out in Bathurst and Orange and, and so they're missing it. My kids are yearning for that again. They're counting down the days until November the 1st so we can see them again. And, and why is that? Why is it that, that being with a grandparent, being at their house is so special? Because, I mean, on paper, it's actually worse than home. You know, your toys aren't there. Your special kids' Netflix account doesn't work there. So, so why do we treasure it so much? I think the reason we treasure it so much is because it's not about the toys. It's actually about having a context of love and care within which you can play with your toys. That love and care transforms your everyday life. And that's the experience we get, not just with our grandparents, but it's the experience we get when we are with God. Now, take, for instance, creation. You know, jump to the very start of the Bible. You're in the Garden of Eden. This is the moment where God is kind of starting humanity off, setting us off, getting us going. And like a, a skim read, a surface read, might make it sound as though God is kind of really lacking any vision for excitement. Like, what does He give us to live in? He gives us a garden. Trees and animals. And He's like, yeah, just enjoy this. And you're like, but where's the fun stuff? Like, this, this is like one giant never-ending camping trip which might be fun for the first couple of weeks, but then it's going to get real boring. However, there is more than meets the eye. Let's, let's read it for a second. This is how it gets put, Genesis 2. The Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he'd formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree and the knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden, from there, it was separated into four headwaters. There's some things to see here. For one, in this garden, there are all kinds of trees. And this is significant because trees create an environment where we can thrive. If you want to build things, you need trees. If you want to be comfortable in the hot sun, you need trees. If you want to burn things, create fire at night, you need trees. If you want to be able to cook things and invent ways of eating, you need trees. And if you're a Middle Eastern person reading these words who they were originally first written to, you think, yeah, I get this. Because there's not many trees in the Middle East. You're usually scrounging around for wood to try and make your life comfortable, to try and make your life a life where you can thrive. But in the garden, God says, I'm going to give you plenty. I'm not going to give you like just the bare minimum needed to, to just scrape by, but I want you to thrive. I want you to have the ability to invent and experiment and play and, and think things through. That is God. He wants us to be like that and sets up a world where we can do it. And, and it's not just utilitarian either. Notice that the trees, he says, are pleasing to the eye. You know, it, it wasn't Pinterest that invented the idea of things really looking, looking pretty and lovely, but it's God. God is interested not just in the practical, but also in the beautiful. When, when you and I look at something and we marvel at a, at a beautiful building or an amazing painting or, or fantastic songs when we take in things that delight us just because of how they're constructed, we are perfectly in sync with God. God has built this beauty into our world. God wanted us to, to have an existence, not where we were just going to get by, but where we could have safety. He waters the garden with this kind of constant, never-ending supply. Again, just like wood, water is not easy to come by in the Middle East. You usually can't grow a thing in the place. 
Wars have been fought and are still being fought over control of waterways, but not Eden. Eden is this safe place where humanity can kind of breathe a sigh of relief and know, okay, things are going to be okay, things are going to work. This is what God wants for us. Real estate agents tap into this kind of vibe a bit, don't they? You know, when you're trying to flog off a house, they talk about it in these romantic ways of how it's going to meet your deep needs. You know, this is the perfect place to get a head start in life. This is the perfect place to, to make your impact on the world through your hobby. This is the perfect place to raise your gorgeous little family. This is the ideal place to, to grow old with dignity. We want that. We want safety and security. Nothing wrong with that. But let's recognize that God is the one who's created you to want it. And he is the one who gives it in ways that truly satisfy. The, the vision of life you get with God, it's not boring. It's actually blissful. It's, it's a life where your needs are met in a way that is deep. Christianity is true, good, not irrelevant because God gets goodness. Another way of looking at it is to look at, look at heaven. Heaven is what you are craving. We've been at one end of the Bible, the very beginning. Jump to the other end, to where you hear about what God has in store for us. And you see the same thing. Not a vision of boring, but a vision of bliss. The Bible has a few different spots in it where it kind of paints a picture of what the next life is going to be like. And forget the clouds, forget the harps, forget the Philadelphia cream cheese. If that's all it was going to be, then yes, I agree, that would stink. If that's all it's going to be, then yes, I agree, that would be dull. And the idea of being trapped in that kind of dull forever, no thank you. I, I get that. But that's not what we're lined up for. Heaven is a place where what we are craving will be satisfied. Forever in this life, we're trying to get these things. We're constantly falling short. It's frustrating as God says, you will have it. Now, Revelation is one place that, that puts it well. It uses word pictures. So, you know, don't take it literally, but, but get the vibe for it as you read these. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. There was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride dressed beautifully for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. Notice what's not there. There's no fluffy clouds. There's no harps. There's no cherubs shooting arrows. Instead, this is a new earth. The next life, heaven, is not us being kind of whisked away to be kind of spirit ghost things. The next life is us being remade renewed in a remade renewed world and every sign in the scriptures points to it being a physical world a world where we're going to eat and drink and and decorate and play and create and and love and be loved that is what it's going to be like there are going to be trees to climb there are going to be valleys to explore there are going to be friends to make a whole lot of friends to make it's going to take all eternity just to get around to everyone, right? The problems that frustrate us so much will be gone. 
Crying is a distant memory. This is a place where the old order of things are finished. That, that's what the comment about the sea is getting at. You know, no longer any sea. This is not bad news for beach lovers. I actually think there will be waterways. But, but the idea of the sea, if you're an ancient Israelite, is freaky. Because they can't swim. They end up in the water, they die. So this is a place where they are out of control. This is chaos. This is disorder. And so when we hear that there is no longer any sea in this place, people breathe a sigh of relief. Oh, good. I'm safe. The things that make life painful now. And I know, looking around this room, that we are acutely aware of the things that make life painful now. They get left behind. They don't make the cut. Humanity in this place is fully restored to God and all these fringe benefits flow out. And it's good. In this life now, as we live in a frustrated world, we need this hope. Without this hope, life is pretty darn pathetic. Life is pretty darn miserable. It changes everything now when you start thinking about what is coming next. Christianity is true and good and not at all irrelevant. And one of the ways that is the case is that Jesus... Jesus brings joy like you've never known before. The the, the kind of beating heart of God's story is Jesus. He comes into this grimy, messed up world and he shows that, yeah, God actually really does care about the same kind of things that we care about. He shows us bliss in the middle of the boring and and beauty in the midst of the brokenness and, and meaning out of what is otherwise very mundane. That is Jesus. You know, at one point in his ministry, he's, he's talking about his work. And Jesus says that it's about giving people life to the full. He says, I've come that they may have life, have it to the full. Jesus wants us to experience life properly. He doesn't want us to just kind of limp along in a, in a miserable state. He wants us to know the joy that God has made us for. He's pretty sure that he's the only one who can give it. So much so that it's very telling that Jesus' first miracle, the one that Matt read for us earlier, is him rocking up to a friend's wedding, being the life of the party, saving the whole celebration by turning water into wine. For one thing, this is a really beautiful affirmation that the stuff in life that we enjoy, it's okay to enjoy. Knowing Jesus is is not necessarily a denial of everything you know and love. It doesn't mean switching off your emotions and switching off your taste buds and switching off your cravings for beauty and wonder and friendship. Christianity is not all about no, 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 but so often it is about yes, yes, yes. And one of the things that we can say yes to, because Jesus says yes to it, is celebration. Jesus gets that we need all these things for life to feel like it's worth living. And he says, I'm down with this. This is good. What I actually want to do is build a firm foundation so that you can know that these things that you enjoy are not just fleeting, but that they are yours to last. Jesus Jesus chooses to kick off his public ministry at a party because it describes so perfectly what he's on about, what his kingdom is like. That he's building something that is full of happiness, full of delights, full of joy. You know, remember parties, those things that we used to go to? That was nice, wasn't it? 
Maybe they'll come back one day. The best bits of parties. The friendship and the food and the sharing and the care and the, and the togetherness. That is what Jesus is putting together. Jesus is announced to the world before his birth by an angel. I'm sure we'll get to read about it at Christmas time like we always do. And, and the summary message that the angel comes with, of here's what Jesus is on about, is he is coming to bring good news and great joy. Good news and great joy. I kind of like that as a tagline, you know? That's the kind of thing that we should chuck up on our church sign and be like, this is what we are on about. This is what we're representing in our villages. Good news and great joy. Here's the thing, though. When we say that Jesus is on about great joy, what we're not saying is that you always have to be smiley and perky and chipper and on top of the world Because this world is still not great. The deep joy we're talking about is about its depth, not its breadth. This is the joy of of knowing that God is for you. This is the joy of, of being restored to God. This is the joy of having been found when you had once been lost. Jesus comes into this world and he's, and he's bringing all these people into his kingdom, unexpected people. And as he does it, he shows that when he says, I'm going to give you joy, it's not fleeting. It's not sketchy. It's not here one minute and gone the next. Ha- having joy, Jesus style, is not dependent on how your day's been going. It's not dependent on how your week is panning out. It's not tied to your love life. It's not tied to your financial health. It's not tied to your physical health. It's not dependent on your hard work or your great decision making. Jesus' joy runs deeper than any of that. Jesus' joy is not easily lost. It's no surprise to know that God gets us. He gets the stuff that makes us tick. He gets the things that make us excited. And he says, I want to bring you into that in a way that will be beyond your wildest dreams. What we're craving, we often reach out for and can only get in shallow ways, we will have in a way that is truly satisfying. We all want for our life to be significant beyond our 80-odd years. And Jesus delivers. We all want to know that our wrongdoings will not define us forever. And Jesus delivers. We all want to be able to look at the beauty of this world that we see and and know that this is not just momentary. And Jesus delivers. We all want to be able to live for others and be generous to others And give up our own happiness for others and know that I'm not missing my only shot at being happy. And Jesus delivers. I get that people think that uh, following Jesus is kind of bland. Maybe we do a pretty bad job of representing it sometimes. Let's pray that people would see in us the great joy 
of being known by the God who totally gets us. Let me pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that Jesus is not just airy-fairy and not just talking about things that are not connecting with us, but thank you that he is grounded in our experience of the world. Thank you that the joy that we know now in tiny little glimpses, we will know fully when we're with Jesus. Lord, uh, please help us to show others this joy. Please help us to show that Jesus is not irrelevant, not bland, not outdated, not boring. Please help our friends to see just how deep joy runs when you know Jesus. Amen.